What a gift it is if you've ever had a mentor in your life, a mentor, somebody to walk with you through seasons that you did not know how to anticipate. A proverb says, this blessing that we have in our life is iron sharpens iron, so too one man sharpens another. John Maxwell on mentorship said one of the greatest values of, of mentors is the ability to see ahead to one's desired destination and to help them navigate there. As you think through your life and different seasons that you've come through to be here this morning, or perhaps a season you find yourself in this morning, how valuable it would have been if you did not have a mentor, someone that knew all the adversity you were to face, all the hardships, all the aches and pains and anxieties that would toss and turn you at night. What a blessing it would have been to have a mentor walk with you through that, to mold you and to craft you for all the hurdles that have and will come in your days ahead. What would you do today if someone approached you, the greatest possible expert in the field that you're in, somebody that knows exactly how to handle the season of life that you are in this morning, or will soon find yourself in, unbeknownst to you at this moment, and offered to mentor you through it, to be with you, to mold you through all of those experiences that are going to come your way. The psalmist this morning in our Hebrew letter sits under the mentorship of the Lord. And we discover this overarching truth in this particular psalm, Psalm 119, verse 129 through 136, this next strophe, this Hebrew letter we walked through this morning. It's that the Lord God graciously desires to mentor and to mold you and I through His Word. To mold you and me through His Word in our life. The Lord God, He graciously desires to mentor you through His Word. It's a mentorship that is yours this morning in Christ. To craft you through the pressures and seasons you will soon face and are facing now and have faced in the past. What an opportunity. What will we say to that mentorship, to that offering to you? What do you do with this? The psalmist answers and he responds to this overarching truth as one who is being actively molded by the working of the Lord through his word. And it causes him, and how we've broken this down, to ask three questions to this overarching truth that the Lord graciously desires to mentor and mold you through his word. Three questions that we ask ourselves. Three questions that we want to make sure we're settled on, that we may instinctually ask Am I really qualified for this? What, what are things that I should be expecting if I'm actually going to do this, if I'm going to receive the mentorship, Lord, you have for me? You are the potter, I am the clay. What then should I be expecting as the clay? How are you going to mold me in the days to come? The psalmist answers those questions for us in our letter this morning. So turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm 119, verse 129 through 136, as we continue this journey through Psalm 119 in this series, not by bread alone, but by every word. If you don't have a Bible, please do follow along in the Pewback Bible in front of you. As we look at the central idea that the Lord graciously desires to mentor and to mold each of us through His Word. First question that we ask, first question that you may have in, in discussing, is this true? Can I really be mentored by the Lord Here's the question, 129 through 130. What if we don't have much experience 
What if I don't have much experience sitting here this morning? Or I have negative experience. I have less than no experience. I have bad experience. What's that mean for my life? Well, the psalmist anticipates and he answers in this way. It's no problem the Lord does. You don't have experience. You're simple. No problem. The Lord has sufficient experience. 129 to 130. Look what the psalmist says from the ESV. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. In many jobs or many competitive internships, you need experience. You need a, a particular resume to receive the position, of course. But what about the, the mentorship of the one who is above all? What about us if we're not qualified, if we don't have the background, if we don't seem to measure up in, in the eyes of the ways of the world? The good news this morning for us is regardless of where you are, regardless of how you got here, the good news is that the simple, even the simple, can receive understanding from the mentorship of the Lord. That is good news for every one of us. And it leads him to begin by saying, your testimonies are wonderful. And we end our sermon by calling it next steps. Don't, don't, don't worry, this is not the end of the sermon already. Some of you were like, this is the greatest sermon he's ever preached. It's not over. But in every step of our faith, whether you're a brand new believer or you've been a seasoned believer, we ask the question, what's next in our life? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be faithful with these resources you've given me, with this season of time, with, if you're entering into to parenting with these little ones? Whatever the season may be, or, or your little ones have left, or you, you don't have little ones, or you haven't been able to have little ones, and, you, and you're grieving in this way, or you're, you're single, and whatever the season of life you may find yourself in, Lord, what do I do with this season? How am I to be faithful to you in this season? The psalmist gives at the very beginning this statement, your testimonies are wonderful. Why? Therefore my soul keeps them. He's somebody that hasn't simply heard the word, of the master mentor, but he keeps the word. And in his life, he says, they're wonderful. The word also could be surpassing. Your ways, Lord, are surpassing. The fact that the Lord's ways are surpassing is a simple confession that he is surpassing. As a mentor, he is greater than all. He's, his ways are surpassing every possible way and philosophy of this world. Because his ways are surpassing, he's able to take somebody like the psalmist and somebody like us who may see themselves as simple and unqualified and low in the ways of the world and say, how wonderful is this? This is really true. There's no hook. There's no catch. You take the simple and you give them understanding and he cries out, wonderful, wonderful. Here the psalmist is recording and writing this prayer for us that we're reading thousands of years later this morning, being edified and built up. The psalmist has heard from the Lord. He's aiming to keep the word of the Lord. And therein, indirectly, by giving us the scripture of recording this prayer that he's writing to the Lord, what's he doing for us? He's pouring into us. That's mentorship. That's what, how the Lord desires to mature us, every one of us, male and female, young and old. He desires to grow us in our understanding of His Word. Not simply that we may know up here, but that that natural knowing will flow out of our lives into keeping His Word, abiding in His Word. And that will force us to begin to pour into others. 
like a cup that begins to pour over the top. It's how the mentor designs us. So don't worry if you don't have much experience. You have enough experience, and the key isn't the fact that you have experience. It's that you have the greatest mentor and molder possible. That's the good news for us this morning. Whether you're beat down or exhausted, or whether you're on the other side and just think you have life in your grips, you've got it under control. Well, to you as well, you will be made simple when your life comes tumbling down. But the good news for every one of us, whether today or in the future, is that the unfolding of your word, Lord, it gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Look over with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. So keep that marked. We're going to come back to Psalm 119. But you have to look at Luke 24. This is, this is one of those exciting, exciting moments. So if you don't have a Bible, just look at your palm and, and pretend like you're going along in your Bible so I feel better about myself. Uh, Luke 24. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And it will be yours as well. It's, it's, it's really incredible. So Luke 24, we're going to read that in just a moment. We're going to actually just kind of drop into, we'll say verse 25 of Luke chapter 24 here in just a moment. I'm not going to start reading it right away, so don't worry. I'll give you time to flip over there. Luke 24 verse 25 is where we're going to jump into. But I want to read again this text in Psalm 119. He says, the unfolding of his words, it gives light. This word for unfolding is similar to a word for door in the Hebrew. And so the New American, the New English translation, I should say, translates this, this word play like this. Your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. There's this unfolding, this opening that the Lord does. And it leads the psalmist who's simple to rejoice. Because he was in darkness, he was simple, and yet the Lord has unfolded, has enlightened to him the Scripture, and it's given him light and given him life. Now, in Luke 24, Jesus has already died. Remember, Jesus lived a sinless life. He's laid his life down on the cross. Jesus is the eternal Son made flesh, fully God, fully man. And Jesus has laid his life down, fulfilling the full demands of the law. All the prophecies fulfilled. Jesus lays his life down as a make right sacrifice, defeats death. The third day has come. He's risen again bodily, risen again. And the apostles, his followers, do not believe. And the ladies go to the tomb that day and they, and they see an empty tomb. Yet they interact with Jesus. They know Jesus has risen from the dead. They run back. They hear the angels. They hear the words. They go back and they try to tell the apostles, Jesus really did it. He really rose from the dead. It's true. And they don't believe him. Except Peter says, I don't believe you. Let me go check it out. He runs there. He's like, hey, that's, that's actually true. The rest of the apostles, they don't hear. So people are spreading out at this point from Jerusalem. And there's two particular guys. One, we get his name here in the text called Cleopas back in verse 18. But there's two men that are walking from Jerusalem a seven-mile walk to Emmaus. And on this road to Emmaus, they interact with Jesus, but Jesus has veiled himself from them. They can't tell that it's the glorified, resurrected Jesus. So these guys are among the apostles. They've heard the testimony. They've heard all the news. Everybody in Jerusalem has heard the news. So they're walking along their path to Emmaus. And this other individual, who is Jesus, but they don't know it yet, is walking with them. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that has not heard the news? Like, 
Where are, have you been under a rock? Have you been in a grave or something? That was a joke. Total, total fail. That's not exactly what they said, but it's the idea. You, you, have you not heard? Are you kidding me? Have you not heard the news? So they begin to summarize this news of, of Jesus, this one we thought was the Messiah, the sent one of God. And with hope, they're sharing this, and Jesus then breaks into them. In verse 25 of Luke 24, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Something our SLT ministry this fall is aiming to do to help us to understand the story of Scripture. Now look at 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going a little further, but they urged him strongly, saying, hey, stay with us, for, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he, he, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And look at 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road? Doing what? Look at this. While he opened to us the Scriptures. The psalmist says the unfolding of his word gives light, even to the simple. The men who would have been much more respected walking away in unbelief, the Lord Jesus Christ illuminating who He truly is from the Scripture for them. And it leads them to make the same statement that the psalmist does in Psalm 119. In a very similar way, the unfolding of His Word gives light. Is not, did we not notice this when He opened to us the Scriptures? Listen, church family, we are ever dependent upon the experience of the Lord. He is the mentor. We are the clay. Not one of us will know Him except for His opening of our hearts, opening and illuminating of our minds, giving us understanding and unfolding of His words that gives us light. Oh, that ought to give us a humility, not in our confidence and our abilities, but in who He is. So we ask and we pray as a church, Lord, would You give us understanding and what this means? Help to make us understand that we are simple, but your experience is sufficient. What other questions might we raise in dealing with this understanding that the Lord truly desires to mentor you and to mold you by His Word, through His Word? It might lead you to ask, what will this do to my confidence? What will this do to my confidence? You might say it like this, I like my life the way it is. I like my life the way it is. What's being led and mentored by Jesus going to do to my life? Because I like it the way that it is. I like my routines. What's this going to do to me? Well, what's it going to do? It's going to rightly shift it from us to Him. It's going to shift our confidence and our esteem onto Him and away from us, placing it where it belongs. 131 through 133. The psalmist continues, I open my mouth and pant. Because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion 
over me. For the last largely 40 years, our culture, the American culture, has experienced a massive emphasis on personal self-esteem. From the classrooms onwards, psychologists and sociologists alike have noted the emphasis upon building up the individual, the self. And it's led different psychologists like Gene Twinge to make these statements. The self-esteem movement is at least one factor in explaining why millennials have higher self-esteem are more likely to see themselves as above average, and in general, more positive self-views than previous generations did at the same. She said also, I also think it may explain why the score, they score higher in measurements of narcissistic personality traits than any other generation. For the last 40 years, we've exposed and saturated our culture that the self is central to life. Your esteem of yourself is what matters. If you want to be successful, you must esteem yourself highly. The center. And so it's led sociologists to make notes of statements that we hear on a regular basis. You can't love someone else unless you first love yourself. Have you heard that statement? Common statements like that in our culture. Believe in yourself and anything is possible. Common and regular. They were largely foreign to the English vocabulary, those phrases, until about 1980. Very individualistic and very self-focused. So what will coming to Jesus to be our mentor and molder do to our lives? Shift the focus from ourselves. A very self-focused culture. And shift it rightly on to Jesus Christ. To get away and saying, my, my life, my success is based upon my self-esteem, my, my self-valuing myself as the center. And saying, no, 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 no. It's about first esteeming the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I esteem him properly, everything else will begin to fall in where it needs to go. But if I make myself the center of my esteem, every responsibility and every relationship will directly suffer. Because I'll believe their purpose is to do what? To esteem me. And if we believe that, it will separate and segment every church, every relationship, every home. What does the psalmist do in his life? He esteems God so highly that he says, I open my mouth and pant. This doesn't sound like somebody that has life figured out, does it? I've been there, done that, follow me, I'll lead the way. This sounds like somebody who's been molded by the Lord, who's tried to do it on his own and seen the futility of that, and then said, no, 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 no. Like a, an animal who pants. Psalm 42, like the deer panteth for the water. So my soul longeth after you. When I was bird hunting as a kid, I remember going with the, these Brittany hunting dogs. And they would go and they'd work the ground so feverishly. And we'd take bottles of water with us as well, or if we couldn't find water, because they'd be panting so feverishly. They were focused on their task so intently that they'd pant so hard they could hardly drink. The psalmist says, that's how I am, Lord. I want to be so dependent and so panting after your word, so dependent upon your word, so esteeming you, that I can consider and think of nothing else. 
That's the center of his life. It shifts the priority from ourselves to him. Verse 133, he echoes this point again. He's dependent upon the Lord to direct his steps according to the Lord's word. The more he matures, the more he grows in a dependency upon the Lord. It's counterintuitive. Jesus says, a childlike faith, which is different. Because I have children, and I want them to grow, and I want to love them, and I want to show them what it is to, to, to be a husband, I hope, that, that loves and cares for his wife well, that loves the local church well, that, that learns to work hard. But I want him to graduate one day and leave my house, right, to become independent one day. I'm not training him up and, and hoping to guide my boys so that they stay with me forever, I'm sure there's a part of me that will want that. Some of you parents are like, no, you're good. Trust us. Trust us. But the one who matures, who's molded by the Lord, who's being mentored by the Lord, their whole life is like a childlike dependency, realizing even more so after decades of walking with the Lord, Lord, as the psalmist says, I need to be dependent upon you to direct my steps according to your word. Because that brother or sister that has walked after the Lord has taken steps according to their own word. And they've experienced the painful heartache that happens when they do that. That's what we should expect. Thirdly, in light of the central truth that the Lord graciously desires to mentor and mold us through his word, what changes should we be expecting? What changes should we ex be expecting? It's good to anticipate what we're going to experience. Well, 134 we should begin to experience and expect that we'll experience that oppressive people will become occasions for growth. Oppressive people in our lives who may be opposed to the things of the Lord, the word of the Lord, will become occasions for growth. The psalmist says in 134, redeem me from man's oppression. Why? That I may keep your precepts. The psalmist's prayer is extremely specific, isn't it? His prayer is very specific. And we've spoken about this before. The primary enemy is the spiritual, right? the spiritual forces. And we know there's direct application to there in every one of our lives, in every one of our seasons. Though there, there is demonic forces and fallen forces that we wage war against. But we would agree, and most scholars would agree, that certainly he's asking because there's a physical person or a many people who are opposing him because he's walking after the Lord. And he's asking God in prayer, God, will you please free me from this situation? Take the people who are oppressing me because I'm with you. Please stop them from doing what they're doing. Why? so that my life can be easy, so that I can be comfortable? What's his request? That I may keep your precepts. At the very least, this adversity is causing him and questioning his focus and purpose as he's aiming to walk after the Lord. We don't know if the Lord ends the oppressor's advancements in his life. But what we do know is that he chooses to pursue the Lord in prayer in the middle of the advancements of his oppressors. That's what you and I should expect as we're continually maturing and being mentored and molded by the Lord through his word. 
not a freedom from anxiety and difficulties, but a fortress to go to in prayer in the middle of them. A maturity that will cause us to shift from our view of oppressors into opportunities that the Lord will use to shape us into His image and His likeness and His goodness. So what we're talking about in our life is not an optimistic worldview. It's not a pessimistic worldview. But it's a biblical, realist worldview. That's what we should expect the Lord to continually, increasingly mold us into. Not one that says the the glass is half full. Not one that says the glass is half empty. But one that says very genuinely, the glass and the water in them are the Lord's. And they are for His glory. So Lord, I do not enjoy the season I'm in. Would you take it from me? But if you won't, I understand that the amount of water that's in my jar is for your glory and help me to pour it out for you until I have no drops left. That's the calling on our life. That's what you and I should expect as we mature in the Lord. That's the Lord's gift for us, that He is all good, that He is all powerful, that He is just, and that He loves us enough to work even hardships in our life for His glory and His good and our good, which looks like shaping us into the image of Christ. This is one of the reasons I believe it's vital that you're involved with a group as a church that's part of our worship and our, and our, and our vision statement. I should say, our core values, word, worship, service, and family, that you would be a part of a group devoted to the word because you have a front row seat and others have a front row seat in your life to encourage you and to walk with you as you aim to apply the word through every season of hardship. As you ask for prayer from these seasons of oppression or hardship for walking after Christ, when the road gets hard, they get to see that and walk with you in it. There are people around you that you will have the opportunity this semester, whether it's a Sunday school group, a, a small group, a ladies group, whatever the group is, that's devoted to the Word that we encourage you to lean into. You will see them walk through and struggle through hardship and suffering and grief. And the Lord will shape you through it and mold you through it as you seek the Lord in prayer on their behalf. That is a priceless gift that comes through nothing else. My life is forever different because my wife and I were a part of a group devoted to the Word that watched a grandparent and a parents bury their young son of cancer through the whole process. We sought the Lord in prayer with them. And that shaped our life forever. For your good, do as a psalmist and expect Him to shape you through oppressors and oppressing situations for His glory. Lean in to a group devoted to the Word. Secondly, what should you expect? That the more that we grow in Him and the more we will find we still need to grow in Him. 135, the more we grow in Him, the more we will find we still need to grow in Him. That's what we should be expecting. 135, this brother who's maturing in the Lord He says in 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. It's a statement given in many benedictions. May the Lord's face shine upon you. But it echoes in the text, verse 130. So look back up into verse 130 again. So you notice that? Verse 130. 
He says, the unfolding of your words gives me light. And he makes a word play here in 135 of shining, the Lord's face shining upon me. The Lord's word is a light to me. The psalmist, as he matures in walking after the Lord, leads him to ever realize he needs the Lord to lead him. He never reaches a place of graduation. He leads after this path that far in a hungry way to, sort, to say, Lord, apart from your gracious face shining on me, apart from you illuminating my context by the light of your word, I'm done. So he takes a teachable spirit and he says, teach me your statutes. What a beautiful thing. As the psalmist matures in the Lord, he becomes more humble. He becomes more teachable, softer. In our lives, as you and I mature in knowing the Lord, our lives should begin to look more and more by the goodness of the Holy Spirit as humble, soft, teachable, lovers of good. That's what we should pray for, and that's what we should expect. But let's be real here. What's the human physical stereotype of somebody that's an old man? What's the saying? They're a grumpy old man. The same can apply in our faith. The longer we walk after the Lord, especially if you're somebody that grew up in the context of a local church and you saw hurts and pains, divided and experienced hurts and pains from other brothers and sisters in Christ. You wondered, how could that dissidence happen like that? You know what can happen? You can become a 20 and 30-year-old grumpy old man pretty quickly. It doesn't matter your age. But what we should expect if we're actually being actively molded and mentored by the Lord is that our life should not become grumpy and hard. Our faith should not become lumpy and hard. But by God's grace, we become increasingly humbled and soft and teachable and dependent upon the Lord's gracious face, shining upon us, illuminating his word like one who pants after water. That's the humility we must long for. So God, give us that humility. What a great prayer to pray on a regular basis. And this is one of the great applications in our life why it's so important to have people in your life who are walking after the Lord who you can trust. People whom you can trust in your life that you could ask on a regular basis. Here's a simple spiritual discipleship question. Disciple means following after Jesus. So people, brothers and sisters, if you're a man, have men in your life that you can ask in a very honest way, listen, be honest with me. In the last few months, have you seen me become more proud and self-dependent? Or have you seen me become more humble and teachable? And why did you give me that answer? And why did you give me that answer? If you're a lady, being able to ask another lady that same exact question and to experience the wound from a brother or sister that is edifying. But here's the problem. If you and I don't know each other very well, hardly at all, and I come up to you and I say, hey, in my life, you would look at me and say what? Oh my God. 
I don't know. So the challenge is for us to lean in like family. You know your family. You may not always like your family, but you know your family, correct? To an extent that you could be able to speak honestly into each other's life. I see this in your life because I'm, I'm close enough to you to see it on a regular basis. And this is the trend I see. The trend you and I should expect as men and women who are following after Jesus is that we should become more humble and teachable and lovely. So Lord, would you help us to expect that in our lives and invite that accountability into our lives? So finally, what changes should we be expecting? Well, the psalmist tells us in verse 136 that we should expect to develop a heart that is both blessed and burdened. You and I should expect, as the Lord mentors and mold us through his word, to develop a heart that is both blessed and burdened. The psalmist says in 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Remember 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. If you came this morning with toes, get ready to get them stepped on. Okay. If you don't have toes, then your fingers are going to get it. Something. This text has just destroyed me this week. Stephen could tell you. Here's why it's destroyed me. Because 20 times, by my count, 20 times till this point, he has mentioned his oppressors. They've been called the wicked ones, the ones who do not keep your law like they are here, the evil ones, the ones who plot against him. And he has asked the Lord, 14 out of 17 strophes, 14 out of 17 letters, that was eight verse sections, 14 out of 17 times, he has asked God to take care of it. 14 out of 17. And now in this verse, so he's able to pray, God, get them, right? God, get them. I think every one of us can pray that. None of us have struggle, a struggle with seeing injustice And praying to God, God, get them. Make them stop that. Get them. So the psalmist is blessed, meaning he's near to the Lord. Remember, to be blessed is to be near the hand of the Lord, to be walking in the, the positive, the creative will of the Lord in our lives. To be blessed is to be in the hand of the Lord, to walk in the ways of the Lord. But the psalmist is also burdened. He's burdened because he knows of the judgment that is going to happen to the people who live in a lawless way. He knows that because God is a good and holy judge, that his wrath will justly be poured out upon them for eternity. And it leads him to weep. It leads him to weep. The New King James translates it, rivers of water run down from my eyes. One translator calls it irrigation canals filled with tears. That's how burdened he is for realizing the coming judgment upon those who are actively oppressing him. Not because he is who he is, but because he's walking after the Lord. So applications. Who are you burdened for? Who are you burdened for? 
It's a lot easier for me to say, God, get them, than it is to say, God, I grieve over them. Help me to reach them. Reach them through me. Our country is so divided in every way, shape, and form possible. It's divided by ages. It's divided by ethnicity. It's divided by how much you make. It's divided by everything. The psalmist does not play those games. He is burdened for those who are lost. And it leads him to weep for them. If I'm being mentored by the Lord, I should expect a greater burden in my life for the lost than I currently have this morning as your pastor. I should be burdened for them. Don't play the games of this world and divide by every way possible. At our heart must be a burden to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their King. If we won't evangelize them and share the good news, that's what evangelism is, the proclamation of the good news. If we won't aim to take our arm around them and disciple them, those that are Christ, and teach them to follow after Jesus, then who will? Here's the application. I'm going to get political for the first time. Here it is. Here's the reality. Every political party and every person that does not vote, the majority of them are walking in sinfulness, and the wrath of God will be poured out on them for eternity. So let's give them the gospel. Let's be more burdened for evangelism than we are any other aspect. Let us be more burdened for training people and following after Jesus than any other aspect. And let us pray, God, would you burden us for them? Burden us for them. Lead us to pray, not simply get them, God, but burden us to see them come to know you as king. So let's speak generationally, just generationally, before we go on to the next steps and finish. Generationally, those that are 65 years and older, those that are closest to the door of judgment, less than 50% claim any kind of evangelistic commitment, evangelical commitment to Christ. Less than 50%. So those of us that are of younger generations, what should that lead us to do? It should lead us not to say, well, just look at them. They're just stuck in their way. It should lead us to do want to do what? Lord, bring them to Christ and use us to do so. They're so close. Those younger, what about the younger generations? Studies show recently that less than 25%, less than a quarter of people 35 years and under have any evangelistic commitment to Christ. Less than 25%. So the older generations, what should that lead you to do for your, your kids and your grandkids? And your great-grandkids, it shouldn't lead you to just say, boy, those, they're just done for. Look at how foolish they are. Glad we weren't like that when we were young, but you were. Right. It should lead us to do what? That are older. It should lead us to desire to make an eternal kingdom impact on the young people. We have a mission field that's going to flood this town. The mission field. There's already a mission field of bins. The locals who don't know Christ. And there's a mission field of thousands of people that are going to come right here. They're going to be at the campus right across the street. Some are going to see our church building and come in next week for the first time. And we're going to give them the gospel and we're going to be burdened for them. And we're going to praise the church body. God, would you burden us? Bless us. Keep us close in your hand, but burden us. What a prayer to be able to make for the people at your work, for the people in your neighborhood. 
the people in your life that rub you the wrong way, that annoy you. God, burden me for them. What a prayer that we should expect the Lord to grow us to pray. Lord, I feel hard towards that person, but burden me for them. Burden me. Next steps. Next steps. Three questions. Practically speaking, what might a planting, a panting for God's word kind of week look like for me? In your life, in my life, what might a panting for God week look like for you? When it comes to your calendar, your timing, if you're to, to be able to forecast August 25th, you're in this room again, and you look back on the week and say, you know what, I, I longed for God more than I did the previous week. What would be some reasons you would say that you did that? And, and, and plan those into your calendar intentionally. Plan to read the scripture with somebody. Plan to aim to try to memorize the Lord's word. Get his word in your life. Pant for God's word. What will that look like in your life and in my life? Number two, pray that the Spirit would show me areas of my life that I'm shielding from his leadership. Show me the areas of my life, Lord, where I don't want you to lead, where I want to have it how I want it, how I want to lead. Ask the Spirit of God to expose those areas in your life this week, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships. Expose those. And, and finally, pray that God would burden us to pursue people who are stuck in a life of sinfulness, who do not know the Lord. Pray that God would burden you for them. And as they come to mind, pray for them and pray for courage to pursue them. What a good calling the Lord has given us. Amen? This is our life. This is our calling. So it makes us a congregation of Christ, bonded together to be a disciple-making body for the glory of God. We will not be ashamed, will we? We will not. Would you stand with me as we sing to the King?